Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Life and Limb podcast. My name is Chuck Anderson, and uh, this is episode five of the show. Very happy to have you joining me. Happy New Year. Happy 2014. I hope your year is off to a really great start. I'm very happy to be back to some sense of normal after a couple weeks of lounging around, eating, drinking, and enjoying the holidays with friends and family. Not complaining. I do love that, but uh, there is something nice about just getting back to regular uh, regular non-holiday time. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how to explain it. I think um, you know the concept of just being on a holiday all the time kind of sounds nice, but in practice, it's uh, you know it can be exhausting in its own way. And it is nice to just get back to working and and accomplishing things and waking up with goals in mind <laughs> that go beyond you know uh, gorging yourself all day with with uh, you know just lots of food and and whole lot of nothing. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, it's just good to be back. Uh, very happy. Very excited excited for what this year may bring for this show. I have a lot of great episodes and interviews planned already for January. Not sure what the frequency of the releases of episodes is going to be, but I am going to try and get it somewhat regular. Um, kind of goal is about once a week, but it may be more often than that, maybe less often sometimes. I'm not really sure, but um, definitely have a lot of good stuff in store for you to check out in the future. So um, anyways, thanks for listening again uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you are digging the show, you want to leave it a good review and a nice rating, that would be awesome. I'd very much appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's just been a, been a, a blast to do this so far. I feel like I'm saying this over and over and over and again each time, but uh, it really has been. It's been fun to hear people's responses and and uh, hear where people are listening to the show um, while they work or you know while they work out or, or drive or whatever. It's I don't know. It's just been fun. It's cool to think about um, you know people actually. Uh, listening and and uh, hopefully getting inspired by the people I'm interviewing and and hopefully you know be able to take away something from this show. That's that's the goal and and I hope that you're enjoying it in that in that sense. So, uh, anyways, the music at the beginning of the show, as always, is Fugazi Life and Limb from their album The Argument. It's used with permission. And if this is your first time checking this show out, uh, I talk a little bit about that in the very first episode I recorded where I kind of set this show up and talk a little bit about it. But uh, that song was really the inspiration for the name of this show uh, when I first came up with it a while back and I reached out to Fugazi and asked permission to use it and they were very gracious said yes and so I get to hear a little clip of one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands of all time at the beginning each time and and uh, what an honor I'm just uh, always always super excited to hear that and and be reminded uh, how lucky I am to be doing this thing and how lucky I am that people got behind it and helped me out and supported it and everything uh, helped me make it into exactly what I wanted it to be so uh, anyways that is that so today I'm joined uh, first interview of 2014, joined by my friend James White. And James uh, is just uh, one of the most awesome, you know, nice, friendly, talented uh, dude, you know, dudes you'll ever meet. Uh, he's an artist and designer and illustrator from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And uh, he's my first Canadian guest. Hopefully, I'll have a bunch more. I love Canada. Um, even though I give James a little bit of a hard time about it in the beginning of the, uh, the episode here, as you'll hear soon. But uh, James, is, James has seen so much success. It's been unbelievable to watch him grow over these last several years. Um, he has been uh, you know, one of those people who is constantly inspiring me just because of his sheer uh, amount of output, the amount of quality work he puts out. Uh, his constant um, effort to, you know, keep people aware of what he's up to, um, keep people engaged and just really talk to people and share what he's doing, be very personable. Um, it's a really rare quality. You know, a lot of times people work and kind of hide behind their Twitter or, you know, behind uh, their website or whatever. But 
James is always out there. He's been traveling the world in support of his work, you know, speaking all over the place in support of his work. And he's earned every last little bit of it and uh, has just seen a lot of success. And, and he's got a really loyal following. A lot of people love his work and he's taken a lot of his love of uh, the 80s and his childhood and stuff and, and sort of turned that into a big chunk of what he's all about and his portfolio and everything. And um, just awesome to see him thriving and doing well and people following along and and uh, just always a pleasure to talk to him. So if you're not familiar with James's work, you can check out his site at signalnoise.com. You can follow him on Twitter at signalnoise. Uh, if you want to check out the website for this show, it's lifeandlimb.com. Follow it on Twitter at lifeandlimb. And, and uh, you know you know the drill. You can go to the website and leave a review, do all that good stuff if you like the show, whatever. Just happy to have you listening. Very excited to be talking to James in the first interview of the year here. And uh, yeah, so anyways, without further ado, my conversation with James White. Please enjoy. <laughs> Hey everybody, what's going on? I am here today with my friend James White. James, how are you, man? Good, good. How you doing, man? How's Chicago? Chicago is wonderful. It's freezing. It's like negative 10 degrees here right now. Um, how is, where do you live again? I, some Canada something. I googled it. I can't, I don't, what is that? I live in, uh, yeah, I live in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada, right on the East Coast. And I can guarantee you it's probably colder here than I it is there. I'm looking, so don't you talk to me about temperature, I'm buddy. Go- I'm Googling Canada and I put it in quotes and everything and nothing's coming up. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what, it's colder there than it is here? Yeah, I don't even know if that's true or not. I know it's snowing here right now, but yeah, uh, yeah. I heard you guys are yeah in the in the deep freeze. Are you in like where is Chicago? Is it like mid northeast? Is that where it is? <laughs> well, it's in the Midwest. Um, you haven't been to Chicago, have you? No, I've been to O'Hare many times. Okay, that that airport has chewed me up many times. Yeah, that's a fun airport. You should try and fly through Midway. It's a little easier of a, you know, of a situation, I suppose. But um, yeah, no, we're, you know, right on Lake Michigan, right in the Midwest, pretty much the the biggest thing there is between New York and LA. So um, yeah, but you should, you should definitely come out here sometime. Yeah, I, I plan on it, man. Uh, well, I mean, Chicago is sort of like a, uh, like the design mecca of the States from what I hear. It. It's funny. I mean, it's. I think that probably would generally go more to to New York, but Chicago yeah. has. Uh, Chicago's got a lot of great stuff going on, a lot of great design. But I feel like it's very um, web heavy. It's very you know um, you know heavy on um, bigger corporate stuff. I mean, a lot of the big agencies here really drive the industry, and there's not as many small studios like there are, say, in New York or L.A. or you know, San Francisco or something. It's a lot huge, huge, you know, Leo Burnett type big agencies. And then lots of more, you know, kind of smaller to, you know, mid-sized ones are in the other cities. Not as many of those here, but yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, so being in Nova Scotia, I mean, I feel like it's probably the kind of the place where, you know, you can be a big fish in sort of a small pond. Um, it's not, not a lot of people know a whole lot about it. Uh, so what's the community like there? I mean, what's, and that's where you're, you know, born and raised, right? There's no, yeah, 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 it is like, I'm, I was born pretty much. Yeah. On the, on the East coast of Canada. This is where I've been the whole time. So, um, like in terms of like the design scene here, like, uh, what it's like, um, it's a really small city and Dartmouth is, uh, the sister city to Halifax. Mm-hmm. It's a really, it's a small scene here. And, uh, there's only like, 
a couple of um, or a handful of larger agencies. But when I say larger agencies, it's in quotes because I'm sure the larger agencies here in town are like the equivalent of the smaller agencies in like New York or Chicago or something. So the scale on everything is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of being like, I guess, a, uh, a large fish in a small pond, like it's it's Halifax and Dartmouth is a little bit of a strange uh, place in terms of the design scene. Um I don't, I don't get the impression, and it might be just my experience of uh, kind of working in the industry in, uh, for a decade, like in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's, um, it's not a very um, supportive city when it comes to, um, when it comes to the arts, uh, just from my experience. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is uh, it's, it's agencies don't tend to talk to one another. They all kind of you know keep to themselves and the battle lines are drawn. And um, I got the impression that was kind of the same um, in, in sort of the art scene, not just design, I suppose. But, um, I mean, but fast forward to like 2014 and we're, we're seeing a cool thing happen, um, in, in the city that I'm in because, uh, there's, there seems to be like outside of, uh, we have the GDC up here, which is the graphic designers of Canada, which I assume is the equivalent of the AIGA mm-hmm. that, uh, that you guys have down here. Yeah. And we have that here, but there seems to be like independent groups kind of popping up and we have, uh, there's one here. Uh, run by my friend Allison called E3C. And um, it's sort of a local kind of, um, it's become a hub for designers and just creatives of all types that kind of get get together once a month and just uh, hang out and like, you know, have a couple of beers and jam them with their, their creative projects they're working on and things. So the city is, it's re- in a really interesting time. It's kind of, uh, getting its footing mm. in terms of uh, in terms of uh, design and arts and stuff yeah but uh yeah that's yeah. cool i mean so uh, one of my questions for you is that you know both you and i have really kind of grown our careers uh you know thanks in huge part to the internet and so having a physical presence and being a part of a community um has happened in a much different way for you and I than it would for someone, say, who really has thrived because of where they're at. Like if someone's in New York and they very much, you know, adopt um, New York way of life and, you know, culture and everything and like really um, endear themselves to the city, it's very much apparent in their work um, and very much, you know, um, kind of a, I don't know, two-way relationship, I guess, with where they live, whereas other people Mm. who are in smaller cities or in suburbs of cities and stuff have still been able to thrive regardless of the fact that they're, you know, maybe not surrounded by a huge, you know, community in person and they get by, you know, on the internet and by traveling and getting their fill of, you know, kind of the creative um, socializing, if you will, you know, in, in spurts. So, I mean, have you ever felt a pull to, to leave, to leave where you're at and move to, you know, a bigger city and, and kind of be in the thick of things? Uh, I never have actually. No, no. Like, uh, the, since, since like all my family's here and all my friends are here, um, I kind of like, I knew that I didn't really want to go to someplace like, uh, like Montreal or Toronto. I think I flirted with the idea like 10 years ago, but I didn't, I didn't really, uh, kind of follow it through. But the great thing about living in a place like this is, um, in, in a place like Halifax and Dartmouth, like there's very little distraction, which to me is a, is a big deal. Like in, in New York or wherever, like I'm sure there is something to do every single night of the week. Whereas in, in Dartmouth, <laughs> you know, we got, we got like, oh, there's a band coming to town in two months, you <laughs> yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's, there's very little distraction, which is great. But couple that with the fact that um, like me and me and my pals here in town, we're, we're all creative types. I know illustrators, I know, uh, you know, movie directors and musicians and everything. And, and 
it's a mentality here because we don't really have the support system of a bigger city. It's very much a do-it-yourself mentality around here, which right. is really, really cool. And that's when you see these kind of personal projects kind of blossom. I mean, I keep using uh, um, uh, my friend Jason Eisner, who's the uh, uh, co-writer and director of Hobo with a Shotgun, the movie. And those guys did it on on their own steam, you know, and they filmed the whole thing here in Dartmouth. And uh, it. it a testament that you know you never know where where you're going to end up if you don't do this stuff and Dartmouth sure. is a perfect place for that because you know we all kind of help each other out we uh, like well I donated like some logo design to the movie and mm-hmm. and a poster and that kind of thing and uh, we all kind of help each other out which is really cool and it's I don't like comparing it to like the the DIY punk rock thing from the early 80s but it, it does really feel like that sure. uh, a lot of times yeah. you know so that's one of the benefits of, of living here is that you know we might have not have the support system of a big city but we just kind of we know that and we just do it ourselves and mm-hmm. we follow it through interesting that's yeah. cool i mean i you know my kind of um trajectory over the years has been growing up in the chicago suburbs so i was always connected with Chicago. I I felt like it was always home, but not the city itself. You know, kind of the idea of Chicago always felt like home, but I didn't live there. And then we moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which I don't know the size compared to uh, where you're at, but it's probably relatively similar. It's probably not far off in size. And then that it's kind of supports, you know, its own and people who do projects, you know, everybody knows about it. And if there's a you know, if there's a gallery opening, like literally every, you know, creative type is going to be at that exact one thing, as opposed to a, a huge city uh, where there might be 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 of those going on at any given night. And chances of running into the people that you know, you know, are not as, <laughs> it's not <laughs> as likely as if you're in a small city, like, you know what I'm talking about. And then yeah. just recently, we moved back here to Chicago. So, um, you know, now I'm feeling the effects of being surrounded by just a lot more happening. Um, and it's been really good for me, you know, but again, this is my hometown. Ultimately, it's just that for the first time I'm living in the city. So it's interesting. I mean, I know people who have gone from here in Chicago to New York. I know people who have gone from big cities to really small cities. And it's just interesting how different people thrive, but ultimately doing at the end of the day, you know, a design job or doing, you know, whatever job it is that they do because of the internet, like you could go live in New York right now and your day to day would be extremely different. But at the end of the day, you'd still ultimately be outputting a lot of the same stuff you're outputting by living in Halifax. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just think it's interesting where people kind of where they're living a smaller, big city, you know, now it's just doesn't really matter so much pretty much because of the internet. Pretty much. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it's like, uh, it's a weird myth. You know, when people when kids get out of school these days, I'm, I'm constantly asked that question, like, should I move to a bigger city? It's like, you're going to be in front of your computer anyway. So as long as you have like a Wi Fi connection, you can pretty much do this job from anywhere. Right. I mean, uh, with me and you, and I'm sure you're the same way, like we work with clients from all over the world. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I, I never even meet my clients. A lot right, of them, I don't yeah. even talk to them on the phone. You know, right. it's just all through email. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And I, I think um, I think one of the ways that people like you and I, um, you know, will supplement that by being, you know, not necessarily right in the middle of it all. And when I say in the middle of it all, I always feel like I am talking about New York, London, you know, LA, one of the truly yeah. big major, major hubs of everything. Um, 
you know, we do get a, you know, the fill of kind of what you need by, you know, through the internet, but then also through traveling, which you have done an absolute ton of, um, over these last (laughs) few years. So I'm curious to ask you, you know, I've, I've spoken a lot and we've, you know, when you and I have met, it's been at, you know, speaking engagements so far, because we both happen to be invited to the same conference, but I've not pushed doing it quite as much and you've done, you've pushed it doing a lot and you've done a ton of it. And I think it's awesome. Mm. It's always, I mean, it's just, you're pretty much on tour half the time speaking at different <laughs> conferences and things like that. So I'm curious, uh, when did you, what was your first ever, I asked Sarah this too, and I think it's just a fun story to hear, but what was your very first, uh, experience with public speaking ever and where was it and how to go? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first time I ever did public speaking was actually at uh, FITC in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. 2000 and uh, I think it was 2009 or 2010. Mm. So it's still it's still pretty recent in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. I went to uh, FITC uh, the year prior to that, and you know I was sitting in the audience and I'm seeing all the speakers. Like I love that that I watch TED talks all the time. So I'm like a I'm I'm a big nerd about their content, but I'm also a big nerd about presentation style. You know, and, and everybody kind of presents it differently, and it's like a performance in a way. Mm-hmm. So I remember sitting in the audience and I was watching. Watching um, Josh Davis, actually, he was one of the speakers. He was the keynote, so he was uh, he was doing his thing. And I remember sitting in the audience, going, "I think I could do that." Yeah, <laughs> and that, that was about it. It was just that one little idea. I think I could do that. So I went home, and you know, sitting on the couch, going, "Like, what the hell would I even say? Like, yeah. do I even have anything to say? Like, what should it, like should I show work? Is it advice based? Like, how do I do this?" So you know, kind of ODing on like, um, on all the talks that Ted has, I kind of formed my own, hmm. my own talk, my own performance. I weaved like some dumb jokes in there to keep everybody interested, to keep the energy up and everything. And just told, told stories, showed a bunch of work, uh, talked about my inspirations and stuff. And, and actually the, uh, the first experience being on stage was awesome. It was, it was really, really good. And, uh, packed the room. I had no idea so many people would, would come out and see it, but and it where, was at- where was that again? And it was in Toronto at FITC. Oh, okay. So yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah. And I, I actually approached Sean about it, uh, like I think six months prior and said like, I think I want to give this a shot. And he went, awesome, man. Come on up. We'll, we'll do it. That's awesome. Like, yeah. So and and I went up and And that's it was Sean great. Pucknell, right? From FITC. It was. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, Sean Pucknell, who became like a really good, good buddy of mine over the years. Um, and he, he kind of rolled the dice on me and, uh, it was, it was an amazing experience. I went up there and just like all the jokes seemed to work. And even when they, even, I think you and I were talking about this, even when you're on stage and you, you crack a joke and you get nothing but silence, even, like I, that cracks me up yeah. when I'm on stage because right. I, <laughs> love the fact when I just nothing. It's that um, it's that it's that quiet hole right there where people are watching how you're going to react to what you just failed at. <laughs> that you can actually sometimes make even better. And I think it's all about how you bounce back from that because I've made jokes and done things like that too. And if it falls flat, you can you really can redeem yourself. But it's when you forget that there's redemption in the bad joke you just made that it always <laughs> kind of goes sour and you're left standing there like. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so so anyways my next slide and then you kind of move on it's kind of yeah. been laughing at yourself and figuring out a way to point out that the room didn't really take that really well and i think that kind of thing yeah. you know comes you know either naturally to people just because of their personality or it comes with time or they just never get good at it i mean it's interesting i've seen extremely extremely talented people speak who are 
god-awful speakers. And I've seen people who I don't find to be particularly interesting on a creative level, but they're very compelling speakers. And then that has actually made me like their work more. Um, You know what I mean? And so I think for you, you know, you have the talent for it and you've also were able to get up there and had a personality that just matched it. And I think that's why it seems to me like you've just really been able to thrive, you know, on a speaking level because it just seems to be like something that's conducive to your personality. So um, I think that's cool. And Josh was one of the first people, you know, who I remember hearing, you know, about his kind of presence on stage. And when I saw him speak, it was, you know, it was pretty, that's Joshua Davis, by the way, for anybody who's listening. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, one of those guys that's pretty much at every design conference, every art, you know, design conference and stuff and definitely leaves a mark, uh, for someone, you know, you'd see speak. Um, he's got so much to say. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, like that's one of the things, like I said earlier, when I go and see people talk like that's, I love seeing just the style of it. And what I've discovered is that other speakers kind of analyze the same thing. Like what, like, how do you say what you want to say? Like, how do you present it? How do you use slides as punchlines and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I love that. And I mean, I mean, Ted is a great place to go to and kind of see all the different presentation styles, because like you said, somebody could be the best artist in the world, but they just stink at conveying it on stage. Right. Um, and getting back to what you said about recovering from jokes, um, I've actually, like it's kind of weird in terms of presentation style. Most of my inspiration came from like uh, Johnny Carson and uh, Louis C.K. of all people, mm-hmm. um, and about how they how they craft what they're doing and how um, Johnny Carson in particular from recovering from jokes because he's he was a he made he invented that I swear to God he's so good at it yeah um, but Louis C.K. like just seeing like the behind the scenes about him talking about how he writes his material and uh, and how every year he scraps what he's doing and rewrites an, an entirely new thing. And it's all about when you're on stage and you're talking about especially um, creation and art that we do, you know, the only way that we can talk about it is to be completely honest about it. And the only way we can be completely honest is to talk with our own voice, Mm -hmm. you know. So when we're on stage and I get I get the impression the exact same from you when you're on stage, you're you're Chuck. You talk the same way like we're talking right now. That's you on stage. There's no kind of it doesn't sound scripted. It doesn't sound like you're up there like reading stuff or whatever. So when you're talking in your own voice, I think the audience kind of clicks better with you instead of like trying to use big words and trying to sure. be a professional TED speaker using I don't know crazy analogies and euphemisms and uh, whatever. My, else. my best feedback has always been just people being like, wow, I really appreciated how honest you were. You talked about messing up or you talked about, you know, just (laughs) shit that you've done that just didn't pan out and you're really blunt about it. I mean, I I just think people want to be able to relate to something. And, you know, if, if they feel like they're being lectured at and they feel like that they're, you know, sitting in, you know, uh, you know, a college, you know, lecture or something, and they're being taught something, you know, that's one thing if it's set yeah. up in that way. But if they're there to learn from you, you know, no one wants to be talked at. They just want to hear like, you know, someone being very honest and down to earth. I mean, it's no different with listening to someone speak than talking to someone. You either like them or you, you know, or you like their personality <laughs> or, or you don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think people kind of find their way. But so I'm, anyways, I don't want to um, end up spending the whole time talking about um, speaking, but I'm curious. Talk- to know. Yeah. But I'm curious <laughs> to know though, from all the traveling you've done, what's your, what's been, uh, your favorite, favorite cities, you know, that you visit, maybe your two or three absolute favorite cities that you've traveled to so far. Oh man. In terms of like, uh, like 
actually being on stage and getting a, a response. There were there were two talks uh, that I did in particular this year. The first one was in uh, Manila. I went down there for uh, for Graphica Manila over in the Philippines, and there was three thousand people in in the wow. audience. And wow. man. They were they were into it. Like it's it's one thing when you go somewhere and there's a quiet audience and they're very polite and they're clapping or whatever. But man, when an audience is kind of like on the verge of being rowdy, it's it makes so so much for like a better better experience for everybody. Like the energy is up in the room and that that like is you know that allows me to get uh, a little bit more into it. Mm-hmm. And the second one was a very similar experience was that uh, in, when I was in Barcelona at the uh, the off conference, Hector yeah. brought me over there, and it was like a similar size crowd and they. They were so into it, like easy to make laugh and uh, we're just into all those stories and cheering and all that stuff. So um, those are definite highlights of, uh, of the year. But, you know, in terms of traveling um, and going to all these places, like what, what I found was kind of a common thread in a lot of these. Like I, I went to uh, to big conferences and small conferences, like little grassroots conferences. And um, it's inspiring to see um, – kind of the rally cry that some people do. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, well, I went to Phoenix, for example. Uh, I went down there for a, for a conference. It was in, uh, I think, September or, or October. And, and their, like, their city is very much trying to uh, trying to form their, their creative community. Like they're just trying to get it together. And they did this, uh, one of the people, I think it was a part of the AIGA, uh, this this girl went up on stage and she did this like heartwarming speech about like we have to band together and uh, you know we're all in this uh, at the same time at the same point and you know there's nothing wrong with us talking and collaborating and all this stuff and it was a beautiful thing to see because all of it some cities I go to and they got it down you know like a Brooklyn or or any like L A or whatever and it's like they don't need any help but these other cities that are trying to form this community it's a beautiful thing to see and uh, you know people forming conferences and flying people in to uh to kind of inspire that it's right, uh yeah that was a big deal and i've seen that not only at phoenix but in in quite a few cities um and that's that's a beautiful thing you know that's yeah. that's awesome to see yeah it seems like every time i've spoken in a smaller you know like i've been to cincinnati and kansas city and st louis and uh, milwaukee cool. and you know just kind of like all different kind of smaller midwest cities and there's always just this core of people and you know in every city whether that springs from whatever art school is there or whether it springs from you know some particularly you know um, passionate people at the local agencies that decide to kind of start something up but you're right i mean i think Everywhere you travel, it's interesting to see these sort of like, you know, they're, you know, you, you get immediately sort of introduced to the core, uh, you know, creative, interesting people in it, you know, in whatever city you go to. And, and that is always really cool and inspiring to see, like you said. Um, yeah. And I think that's awesome. Um, as far as like a non-design standpoint or like the community or whatever, I mean, what about like just in terms of traveling, just what's been the most beautiful city you've seen to date? Oh man! Um, I mean, Barcelona's up there. I yeah, love that, Barcelona. I, Barcelona's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh man, um, it's kind of interesting. Like, um, I just recently, um, just I guess a recent trip, uh, a more, most notable one. I went down to uh, Charleston in uh, North Carolina, and uh, like, talk about a beautiful like colonial era uh, city that's in the U.S. Which that's the biggest thing. Like, I went like when you go to the U.S. Like, I get a distinct being a Canadian, you know, like from up here. Um, whenever I go to a U.S. city, it feels like a U.S. city. You know, there's the, the flags are everywhere and, and whatever else. It just feels like America. And, but it, you go to Charleston and it feels like you stepped into like a, a, 
a colony in Europe or something. It was just this this beautiful old architecture that's all been restored and it just had a completely different vibe mm. that, I, that I really wasn't expecting because I did two dates down there. One was in Columbia, North Carolina, and the other one was in Charleston. And you couldn't pick like two, di- two different feeling cities, you know? And right. so Charleston was amazing. I definitely want to go back down there because man, what a, what a just inspiring city to be in. That's really awesome. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. So I'm going to switch, switch gears here a little bit and ask you about something that uh, you and I have been talking about and something that I know you talk about a lot and, and just as creative people, um, you know, the importance basically, uh, of using our time wisely, especially as someone who freelances, but even for people who don't freelance or even people who aren't creative types and work in a different job, whatever, at the end of the day, like everybody's got something that they love to do. Uh, you know, it might not be for the better betterment of their career. Maybe it's just a hobby or whatever. But um, do you find yourself getting burnt out from um, simply basically doing, um, a, you know, a career based off of what you, your passion is? Do you ever find yourself you know, like, man, I just, I got to stop. I can't do this anymore. Or do you find yourself feeling like you have kind of this bottomless tank, you know, to, you know, pull from, pull energy from, you know, when you need to, Mm. to work on stuff because you are so driven in your portfolio and your work and your career and everything has been so driven to date by personal projects that have, you know, spawned client interest, and then those have spawned new personal projects and stuff. So how often do you find yourself drained? And what do you do, you know, when you find yourself in that spot, if you do? Yeah, um, it doesn't happen often. I mean, I'll I'll be honest. Um, But there has been a couple of points. Um, I guess I'll outline this one. Uh, You know, when when signal noise, my, uh, my company, my blog, whatever, when that first started to get uh, momentum, it was because of a certain style that I was doing. Like I'm always, I'm a raging nostalgist, you know, like I love crap that I grew up with from the eighties. And I was doing a lot of stuff that had like, I call it lines and rainbows and lens flares, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And which, uh, which I love. Um, so I was doing that style, but, um, I guess what led to sort of, um, being in a creative rut was, Signal Noise became known for that one aesthetic, and every client that got a hold of me wanted that one thing. And being an artist as well, as well as a designer, like the artist part of me wanted to keep evolving. I wanted to keep exploring. I wanted to keep myself interested. And when it when it started to feel like um, paint by numbers, that's when I found myself in a rut. I really did feel like I was kind of backed into a corner, and I didn't know really what to do. Um, and the only way I could really deal with that was to you know, go on a lot of long walks and, and all that kind of crap and try to figure out what did I want to do and, and that stuff. Whenever I feel like sort of backed into a wall when I'm drained, um, the only way I can really get out of it is just to start playing around with stuff about like I had this weird notion. Um, let's, let's fast forward to this year. Like earlier this year, I was kind of like uh, I came out of this movie poster. I tried to break into the movie poster industry and um, just because, uh, it was like licensing and it's, a, it's a whole long story in itself, but I felt really, um, uh, like I kind of, I lost ground. I lost footing in terms of my brand, in terms of my audience, in terms of client work, all that kind of stuff. So I needed to reestablish myself. And the only way that I could really do deal with that was to start playing with, uh, with a, a weird notion of illustration that I had in my head. Um, I never really put a lot of thought early on into the personal work that I do. I just have a weird concept in my head that I just want to get out. And this time it was, I'm just going to, I'm going to explore a new illustration style and I'm going to kind of develop um, video game console illustrations. So I did a whole bunch of those and the style um, 
started evolving, I started getting really interested in um, in this illustration stuff. And that led to essentially the, the next year of Signal Noise was that kind of stuff. So when I'm in a rut, I mean, the only way that I can get out of it is just to produce more work. That's always what I've done when I was a kid uh, and I was feeling bummed out. Drawing always made me feel good. So it's it's just a matter of like now it's Photoshop and Illustrator as opposed to pencil and crayons. You know, it's the same sure, idea. Yeah. yeah, it's the same idea, and that's always how I deal with it. Um, I never call it creative block. You know, I don't I don't like that that term because I always you know I'm I'm the kind of person I believe that um, creative block is normally caused by um, something else in your life that's distracting you from getting the job done. Um, because we're wired to be creative. That's what we do. We're problem solvers. And I mean, there's always a solution to every single problem, but if you're distracted by something else, like whatever that may be, another, another issue going on that normally, uh, leads to, you know, stifling, stifling you and draining you out. So, right, yeah. um, yeah, for me, it's like, it's figuring out what that is and then trying to get, get past it. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for me, what's interesting, you know, is just, uh, as, as someone who has now been doing what I've been doing for 10 years and you've been doing it for years and, and uh, I know a lot of people listening, you know, are maybe in a freelance position, maybe they work at a company, maybe they're not even creative types at all. But I think everybody who does something, you know, that originally started out as their hobby can end up feeling, um, you know, hitting a wall or just getting kind of like tired of doing it. I mean, there's a reason that we have other hobbies, you know, it's because you got to eventually kind of put down what you're working on and do something else. And, um, I was actually going through, you know, uh, something, you know, back in, in August, right. When we were about to move and, um, you know, from Grand Rapids back here to Chicago and stuff. And, it was cool for me because, you know, I, you know, I feel like one of the most important things to do in life is surround yourself by, you know, with interesting and creative and, and inspiring people. And so, um, to see your output, I mean, and your output is, is just crazy. Like you're always making something new, putting it out there, just very prolific, just lots of, lots of stuff, just pumping stuff out and it's always good. And it's always something you seem very excited about and everything. Um, And so, you know, you were right in the middle of releasing a bunch of new prints and a bunch of new, you know, project kind of that you were working on. I'm not sure if they were prints yet, all the the Starcade stuff, but um, I basically shot you an email because I kind of feel like if you see somebody doing something, you know, that is inspiring to you or if you feel like you would, you know, you're admiring someone's work ethic or something, you know, go ahead and tell them. So I had emailed you back in August, (laughs) just a few months ago and basically told you that. And I, you know, I said uh, I'd been sort of feeling a little bit creatively depressed myself and just sort of in, in sort of this uh, just kind of rut, I guess, and just wanted to tell you that I'd really sort of was admiring the amount of work you'd been putting out and you just seemed kind of tireless with it. And just like, you just wanted to do it without complaining. And I just always really admire that in anybody and stuff. And, and, you know, your response was, you know, it was the kind of thing, you know, we're just talking about this where it's, you know, your response was kind of, you know, to identify with, yeah, you know, I understand that you just kind of keep, keep pushing along, keep doing your thing. And, and I think that's it for anybody. I mean, you know, you get burnt out or whatever, at some point you have to, buckle down and, and suck it up and start working, you know? And I think, I think part of the, the experience of going through that is talking it out, is getting it off your chest. So I always tell people, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with something, you know, whether it's work related or it's outside of work or whatever, it's affecting your job. You got to just make sure to get it off your chest, talk to somebody about it, hear that somebody else is going through it. Cause I feel like we always think it's just us. You know what I mean? Like it must be just me that's having this hard time coming up with good ideas right now. But you know, everybody has, really bad spots and has hard time coming up with ideas or getting the idea out there or whatever. But at the end Mm. of the day, 
I mean, everybody's dealing with that. It's not, it's never just you. It's never just me. It's, you know, everybody goes through that in waves. So um, exactly. It's a, yeah, yeah. You summed it up really well. It is, it is waves. And uh, I think there's, um, I think what people have to realize or they have to, they have to kind of discover it. Everybody has to discover it for themselves is that there's going to be high points and there's going to be low points. And it's just to recognize the low points and just remember, you know, you can, you can get through that. You know, it's it's just a period. It's just a little period of time that you're just trying to figure out what you want to do next and take that next step. You know, right? Yeah. And uh, it's all a decision. You know. Right. Yeah. It totally is. Um, so, so, what are some of the personal projects that you've done over the years? Because this podcast, you know, doing Life and Limb for me uh, is something that I wanted to do because essentially I'm a very curious person. I'm really fascinated with lots of other people's you know, talents and creativity and ideas and everything. And to sit and talk to him, ask him questions, like that just sounds like fun to me. So bottom line, <laughs> for me, that was like, what I want to do is just talk to people and ask them questions and stuff. So maybe what are, what are maybe like, if you just had to pick three of the most rewarding personal projects that you came up with completely on your own and followed through with, or even if you didn't follow through with it, if you just even did like one thing that was going to be this bigger thing, but you're like, man, you know, I'm glad at least I tried that. You know, what would those three, three projects be that you feel like have contributed to kind of the bigger story, if you will, of your, you know, life and your, you know, your work right now? Yeah, yeah, I can I can talk about um, three projects, but one of them is kind of like a lower point that leads to a higher point, sure. which is really it's really interesting. But um, one one of the first projects um, that I took on was actually way back before uh, Signal Noise actually kind of uh, became a, an identity or uh, or. Um, I was messing around at home, and it's when I made kind of the. Uh, the decision to do more personal work. And I started experimenting with like painterly effects and skulls and that kind of thing. Like we're metalheads, you know, we always like to work with skulls and stuff. I know Keith is sitting on your shelf right now looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a but, skull in my studio here and I've, I at one point decided its name was going to be Keith. I just feel like I needed a name for him. He just hung out all the time. And I guess I told James about that at some point. So that's what he's talking about. <laughs> People are like, who the hell is Keith? <laughs> yeah, what is this? It's a de- yeah, it's a dead guy that, that Anderson has in his office. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I never let Keith go. Every time I see a photo and it has a skull in it that you post, it's like that's Keith. Yeah, <laughs> makes um, him less, much less scary. You call call a call something <laughs> scary by a very normal human man's name, Gary or Keith. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so back then it was um, essentially stuff, and I I was sitting down one night and um. It was the decision to try to like whenever I did skull stuff, I'm like, I'm not a badass guy. Like I don't ride around on a Harley with a big beard or whatever, like a Sons of Anarchy dude. Like I'm not that guy. Like I'm kind of like a I like my cartoons and my toys and I'm kind of a goofball that way. So I decided and I think it was late 2007 that that's that's what I was going to embrace about my work. I was going to stop trying to be like badass or trendy or whatever and just like. I'm going to do some goofy cartoons and, you know, make some characters or whatever. And I'm going to, that's when I kind of started experimenting with a lot of the wild colors and rainbows and flares and everything. And it was, I remember I was sitting on the couch when I decided that I wanted to, to do, take that Avenue. And if I wouldn't have done that, you know, signal noise, like, I don't know where it would be right now. I'd probably still be working at agencies or, or whatever else. So it was that decision. And that was a big one that led to uh, like two years of, uh, of personal projects and client work that aesthetic yeah um and that was very much by accident and um 
I want to talk to I want to talk about that accident thing again, like uh, after this next uh, little story. But um, last year uh, in 2000 and well, it wouldn't be last year, the year before 2012, I decided I was going to do a project called gum cards, uh, which were uh, uh, basically they were limited edition screen printed trading cards of like my favorite artists and designers, which which sounds like a lot of buffoonery when you say it out loud. But, you know, that's what it was. Um, and I planned everything out and I had them screen printed by the wonderful people down at Mama Sauce down in Florida. They're like brilliant, brilliant screen printers. They turned out beautiful. Um, but ultimately, um, the project as a whole didn't have the proper footing behind it, even though I thought everything out and I tried to market it online as, as publicly as I could and try to, uh, kind of get behind it because it was promoting artists and designers and that kind of thing. Ultimately, at the end of it, when I actually had these things done and were, they were going to be sold, I didn't have the audience base that I needed because it was such a narrow market that I was aiming at, such a niche little project that uh, the numbers that I wanted to produce to sustain the project, it, it just wasn't there. So ultimately, I look at the Gum Cards project as a little bit of a failure. But like we, like you said earlier, I'm glad I did it because I learned a ton about screen printing and marketing and packaging and, and producing actual product, which was awesome to do other than just like a poster, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that project – and this leads back to the accident thing. That project um, – missed a couple of key things. I wanted like the the print turnaround time to be very quick. I wanted to keep expanding on the project and the amount of time it took to prep files and design them and screen print them and and all that stuff was so lengthy that it kind of imploded the project. And during during the time, now let's fast forward to like just in 2013 when I was getting into illustration, I, I started illustrating like I was I was building the deck on the back of my house and I was putting in all the the screws and all the decking boards and I decided like just trying to kind of pondering illustration pondering what project I'd like to do next where signal noise going to go and I decided like I'm going to illustrate some wrestlers yeah that'd be fun and stupid let's do that <laughs> which was basically the the uh, the starting point of the Starcade series but at that point. I didn't even think about printing them. I just did them for myself. I designed them in a square because they look nice in Instagram. That's the yeah. only reason I did that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started doing these things and they started catching on and wrestling fans started emailing me like, where can I buy these things? When are they going to be available? And you know, I've, and I'll tell you one thing, Chuck, I unearthed a lot of closet wrestling fans in the design community. I had <laughs> no friggin' idea <laughs> that there were so many people like, oh, it's the Macho Man. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but um, – and that – sum that up like that project ended up leading to a print series i've sold out uh four editions so far of uh, of these starcade prints and i'm i'm starting to dive into uh like pop culture stuff like he-man characters and ninja turtles characters and um i finished a couple for art shows that are going to be taking place earlier this uh, early this year and you know three three sold out series so far the starcade prints and it was something the reason i brought up the uh the accident earlier is because I didn't plan any of this for this project. Mm-hmm. It was it was very much I fell into it. And um, despite all of the planning I did for the gum cards, ultimately the Starcade series is what I had hoped gum cards would eventually be. But the missteps that I took just it couldn't happen. So it's it's interesting, you know, sometimes the the dumb ideas that you have while you're building a deck <laughs> are the ones uh, worth um, worth pursuing that could potentially be a success. You know, right, it's totally. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. When you say building a deck, uh, what do you mean exactly? Like, is that you're planning and you're, you're just kind of building like a whole, you know, a whole thing that will set the stage for the project that you want to do and pulling your inspiration together and pulling together. Cause I know, I mean, everybody's, you know, for clients, I would use a deck, but you basically treat your own project like 
as if you're you're the client and you kind of create this whole <laughs> thing? Is that kind of the way you approach it? <laughs> no, when I say building a deck, I mean constructing a patio. Oh, oh. On, the, on the back of my house. <laughs> we were way on different different pages there. You said building a deck, and I thought, oh, you build yourself like a like a mood board, like a deck. You know, they call it decks. And, but okay, <laughs> you made it much more profound than it I, actually was. I should have yeah. went with that. Oh yeah, it's my personalized system. For I was gen- I was ideas. I was very intently listening to you too, and I just must have missed the context of it. And I heard building a deck, <laughs> talking about working on a project, whatever. So, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, hey. You know, <laughs> my mind's, you know, I'm, I got my mind on work, I guess. Uh, but, um, I mean, no, that's awesome. It's, it's amazing though. What, what happens out of these kind of, uh, you know, mistake, quote unquote, mistake projects and, and how yeah. one thing leads to another and how it gives you an idea, you know, to do some other project or to pursue a style that came from kind of just screwing around or whatever. Um, exactly. That's yeah. I mean, that's that's an awesome thing to do. So, I mean, what's your what would you say? Uh, you know, you want to do with your time if you could just have it any way you want. Um, would you be doing more and more stuff for clients, or would you be doing pretty much one hundred percent whatever you want to do all the time? Because for me personally, I actually like and and quite enjoy the surprise of a new client project. Someone kind of handing me some parameters and then me working. I see that as a challenge, and I, I really enjoy you know, bringing what I do to the table of somebody else, if you will. But I also do a lot of my own stuff, but I feel like you do, you know, a lot of your own stuff and really, really push a lot of your personal projects and and your prints and all that kind of stuff uh, more than I have. And I I really kind of uh, want to do more of that. But would you do even more of that? Would you do more client stuff? I mean, where would you, where would be like the ultimate kind of happy, you know, place for you as far as that's concerned? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I do. Um, I, I am on board with you when you say, uh, like the surprise of a client job, because um, there's a definitely a, a kind of an intriguing process that you go through when you're trying to um, kind of achieve somebody else's goals and you're trying to help them along and working with them and getting their their input and stuff. Because uh, it's really easy to get wrapped up in your own head when you're working. I'm sure you you know that as well as I do. When you're you're kind of like you get inside your own head and it's hard to kind of tap out, you know? Um, so talking to somebody else and, and collaborating and hearing new ideas with the project is awesome. And I love that process, uh, in dealing with, uh, with client work, but ultimately, um, like I, my, my goal is at some point I would love to just work on, on my own brand, you know, um, to expand the signal noise kind of, uh, a word mark or whatever it is into, you know, uh, um, more, more t-shirt designs or more clothing or baseball caps or like product based stuff. Um, my goal, and I, and I said this, like, I think 12 years ago to an instructor of mine or something like that to somebody and said, like, ultimately I want to get to a point where I'm making stuff and then selling that stuff. And that's how I support myself. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more difficult to do that. The pay is a lot lower, but ultimately that's where I want to be because, you know, um, kid of the 80s right so uh, we were very like commodity based back then collecting hockey cards and baseball cards and and action figures and all that bull crap and though that's ultimately the little universe that i want to build for myself is is yeah these little little things little trinkets and i I kind of um this goal or this idea um it kind of springboards off of hanging out with uh with aaron draplin one of my favorite designers out there um i did a lot of uh speaking gigs with aaron over the uh over the last year and he's a master at 
creating merchandise for himself. I mean, that guy has every little bit of funny merchandise you could think of. And he, you know, kind of hauls them all over the country and sells them at all of his speaking gigs and, you know, little pencils with his logo on it and like usable practical stuff. And I love that because he's building his own little like that's his Marvel comics, you know, sure, that's yeah. his little movie studio. He's building that's his, his own little kind of little and, and world. I love that him. idea. And I always have. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I dig that. I, I like when people pursue their own thing. I mean, isn't that kind of what we all want to do um, is to be able to just do exactly what we want to do. I mean, you're talking about literally doing what you want to do on no one else's terms at the end of the day. And I yeah. think, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, in a nutshell, I think what all creative people want to do, some people want to do it on a little bit more on the terms of a client. Some people want to do that in the, um, you know, in the context of an agency, some people want to do it, you know, whatever, but you really want to do it on your own terms at all times. And I think that's a pretty good goal to have. And you're obviously, you know, have now for a while been well on your way to, to getting to that point. So, um, one of the things that we talked about earlier before we started recording this was you brought up age and kind of where you're at in life right now. And, um, you, you know, you're 36 now, you know, you have a perspective on <laughs> life. You can look back on, um, different eras of yourself as opposed to someone who's say 20, 21, and they're just kind of getting rolling with things, um, who they don't have a whole lot to look back on in terms of a, a professional career. You know, you're at a point now where you can really kind of look back and take stock in what you've done and assess it and think about it and, kind of use that to figure out what you want to do moving forward. So, I mean, how, yeah. how different do you see things right now in general, you know, at 36, you know, like where's your head at in terms of, you know, where you see yourself going forward, kind of where everything, you know, just, I don't know, like, are you happier at 36 than you were at 26 or than you were at 16 or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, be, you're, you hit the nail on the head in terms of um, you know when you when you get into your 30s, that's at a point creatively anyway. If you've been do, you've been working for like a decade or whatever it is, and you can definitely look back and you can see all are you raised or lowered the bar for yourself, you know, and you can see like this period I was trying this, this period I was trying this, and when you're an artist or a creative person, you know, you have that creative lineage, and it's very easy to kind of connect the dots. Um, but at 36, you know. I'm, I'm way happier now, uh, creatively than I was. I mean, um, I had a lot of talks like my friend, Allison, Allison, not if she's listening to this, she's going to laugh because she saw me during the bull crap of me being a 26 year old dumbass, um, <laughs> and trying to figure it out. But I mean, yeah, the, um, back then and I'll try to describe this as best I can. Like back then I was really like a lot of people, I was obsessed with the idea of, developing a style you know and i know you've heard that that too from like the younger designers or whatever like i need to find my style you know i need to i need to figure it out because we look at people like joshua davis and shepherd fairy and all these guys and they have their thing you know they got it locked into place you know i need that and ultimately what you end up doing is just copying shepherd fairy that's what i did um but it's that frustration back then when you're mired in the middle of it trying to figure out what your creative voice is it's incredibly like almost to almost being stifling. You know, you really do have to like persevere and get through that frustrating time to, uh, to actually develop this, uh, this voice or whatever it's going to be. Mm. Um, but the problem is like, uh, and the reason I really, yeah, like I wanted to talk about being 36 is that it wasn't until, you know, within the last couple of years that I realized um, that frustration is incredibly valuable. 
in um, in terms of the creative progression of of an artist. You know, you need to feel like you're sitting on sandpaper in order to keep keep doing something. It gives you something to chase. You know, and uh, the, the more frustrated you are, the more work you're going to try to put out. You're going to try to fix this problem. You need, you're going to go and go and go and go. Um, and there's no real. Um, and this is the harder, hardest thing about trying to talk to people about this this topic, especially if they're a younger younger designer. Um, you try to tell them, you know, it, it's they're exactly where they need to be. If they're frustrated, it means they care about it. Mm. You know, and and that's where you need to be. If you, if you love this stuff, you're going to be able to figure it out. Sure. But the the the, the double edge, I guess, to the sword is that you know when it comes to creative voice, when it comes to style or whatever, that stuff happens through accident it happens through kind of trying something and screwing up three times and then and then it yielding kind of an unexpected result sure you know um and i'll, I'll kind of put this um to something conan o'brien said um conan o'brien talks about how you know um david letterman's generation they grew up watching johnny carson and they all tried to impersonate johnny carson because they all wanted to be him but in the ways that they screwed up made them who they are. So in the ways that David Letterman screwed up, actually, that's where the David Letterman style came from. And Conan O'Brien grew up watching David Letterman, and he tried to be David Letterman, but in the ways he messed it up, that's how he became Conan O'Brien. Sure. You know, and and there's, there's a beautiful little... Um, little little story there a little idea and i think it definitely translates to what we do you know because mimicking people is what we all do when we're younger in terms of art and design it's what i did like crazy but the ways that i screwed it up actually led to eventually me discovering that those mishaps are the kind of work that i actually want to do they're my they're my own little personality or own little voice kind of showing through the cracks you know um, and it's, it's interesting to look back on that stuff and see that, you know, like I have, like, like you said earlier, I have a lot of work from back then and, and looking at them and you can see it kind of forming and solidifying over the course of a decade, you know, until eventually it gets to the point where it's, it's, it's a brand. It's something that I could, that I'd like to do forever mm, sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's so funny. I sometimes really miss, you know, I'm 28 now and, and uh, I definitely have a different perspective and handle on things. I think a lot of it just has to do with maturity. I mean, I, I don't engage in um, really the banter anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, of like on the internet, for example, you know, I feel like when I first started out, it used to be a lot heavier in message boards and stuff. And if people would have something <laughs> to say about your work, you'd be really quick knee jerk to react to it. But I feel like that was very much a, a, a consequence of the internet being new and not really sure how to interact with it. And now, I mean, I just couldn't be bothered less. I mean, if someone has a question, <laughs> I'll answer it. But I mean, I was so reactionary when I was 18 and when I first started and I was 19 and I was first starting. I was so reactionary. And now I'm so much more content to just let things around me happen and realize that only I can control my situation and try and make myself better. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me, yeah. that's come with age in addition to just the natural progression of work and stuff. But like you said, I mean, there's just a lot of it just kind of is, I don't know, just having a handle on on kind of what you want to do in your future. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like people like you and I will never quite be content. You know, <laughs> you're know, always going to be like, oh, in a year from now, it'll be like this. And then in a year from now, it'll be like that. And then so on. Um, but, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that's just, I don't know, I guess that's just part of the process of getting older i, I yeah mean, no it totally is yeah yeah hit the nail on the head man and i mean when you when you take all of this stuff all these weird ideas and analogies or whatever that we're talking about and you and you mingle in um 
you know, getting better at using your your tools, your software like that. That is a, a huge part of it, too, where, you know, you need to get to a point where your skill set actually matches where your taste is. Sure, and that's yeah. where you can kind of kind of develop what you want to do. Yeah. So it's it's a weird thing. There's no there's no real recipe for it. And I mean, you know, people can write all the tutorials and do all the tutorials they want. But, you know, there's no step by step process to kind of getting into a position creatively where you want to be, you know, and it kind of happens by accident and you kind of realize it after a while, like, Oh crap, this is like 10 years ago. This is where I wanted to be. You know? Right. Yeah. It's interesting mm. too, what you just said about taste. I mean, I think like people's tastes change and then therefore their styles change kind of what they're interested in changes. And then that changes what it is that they even want to be making and what they feel like working on. <laughs> like yeah. I know the things that I feel like spending my time making, right now are very different than the things I wanted to spend my time making and working on five years ago, 10 years ago, even a year ago, you know, like my interests yeah. grow and stuff. And then that affects directly your creative output, both personally and for clients and stuff. And I think that that's, I don't know, that's some, some interesting thing. I mean, I've known myself and other designers. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever had this, but if a client or somebody at all just asks you, uh, for something creatively, that was something that you did, you know, you haven't touched stylistically in years you know, are you, are you hesitant to go back to that? Or are you like, no, that's cool. That's what you want. I'm capable of doing it. I'll do it. I'm down with that. Or are you, you know, you know what I mean? Like I've gotten requests to do stuff using, you know, um, an example of something I made in like 2004, 2005, <laughs> and I haven't done anything like that in, you know, in a while. Um, but I'm always kind of happy to revisit that stuff. I find it to be interesting, but I've known other people who have mostly like refused and been like, I don't really do that anymore. So what's your kind of approach on that? Yeah. Yeah. Like if the client wants it, do it. Um, and it is like, I think I have the same point of view that you do. Like, it's an interesting to look back. Like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a raging nostalgist, man. Like I'm all about like just studying what I've done in the past and seeing where I've been. So if a client asked me like, yeah, can you do this thing that you did in 2007? I go, man, you're damn right I can. And I'm going to do it better than I did back then because I've been, this amount of time is, uh, has been spent just honing my craft and honing my skills. So it's, inter it's interesting to, uh, to revisit a style that you don't really do anymore and, and see like, I bet I can do this quicker. I bet I can do it easier. I bet it'll be nicer and slicker. And I'm going to add new things that I've, that I've learned along the way to make this really kind of an amped up version of what I was, you know, five years ago. Sure. And I love that. Yeah. Like I love revisiting processes and stuff. And I, I think you're the same way, like looking at your work. Um, I get the impression that you, you kind of reevaluate your process a lot because when I look at like no pattern work from like, you know, five or six years ago. And then I look at the stuff you're doing now, like there's a, it's a there's a common thread that goes through all of your work, but you, your process is obviously evolving as you're learning. Like, right. do, is that something you concentrate on a lot or do you just kind of like kind of do it intuitively? For me, I feel like I've kind of just gone from more of a, like, I don't know, I just, as I've gotten a little older, just in the last couple of years, I've gotten more interested in, uh, you know, in, in focusing on, on like, colors but in the concept and in kind of in the con uh context of more dark than in the context of light so like i you know i feel like a lot of my early work when i first started was very much like bright almost rainbowy you know colorful stuff on white with a lot of kind of light glowing and everything like that and now i'm much more interested in the context of, of the like really intense colors but against a much darker background and much darker setting and stuff and i feel like kind of 
toning down overall, like calming down, but like really bringing out like intensity and simplicity and composition as Mm. the focus, but still with really interesting colors. Um, Kind of that's been personally, I mean, for me, just talking very specifically about the work that I do. I mean, you can really actually see it in the aesthetic for this show, for life and limbs, for all the, you know, individual show graphics and for the, um, you know, the graphic for the show itself, just this kind of very dark black kind of staticky background and then the kind of colorful type on top of it and stuff. I've, I guess I've been more interested in, in simplicity and, and, and more elemental kind of composition and just very kind of toned down overall, like what's happening in an image and mm-hmm. like really focusing in on that and letting the color and like kind of like the light and stuff around it sort of, um, you know, take a little bit of a backseat to that stuff where when I was first starting and I was 18, I felt like I just wanted to throw as much onto <laughs> as much color, as much everything as I could. And I still like to do that every now and then. But for me now, it's yeah. definitely like a refinement, you know, because, you know, yeah. I didn't go to college for this stuff. And, you know, I mean, you're schooling. I don't know what you, I mean, you've talked about all the time. I definitely didn't want uh, this interview to be kind of regurgitating stuff that you've spoken out about a, mil- a million times <laughs> sure. before. But just, you know, I mean, your your college experience was not to do really what you're doing now, right? I mean, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was in 1995, so it's like a version of of what I'm doing now. But right. it was like a, it was a community college, and it was like you know two years, um, really bare bones, you know. And it right. was it was just basically here's here's all these tools. Right. Good luck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what, right. Exactly. So basically, what I'm saying is, for me, not having gone to college at all, and then for you having kind of this very bare bones thing, and especially in 1995, I mean, there's nothing like the tools that you have at your disposal today. I mean, you and I have both been very much on our own and a lot of people who are just kind of coming into their own right now in 2014, like are very much, you know, figuring things out as they go by themselves, you know, with a magazine online, just screwing around to, you know, just messing around and stuff. And I think it's kind of fun because, you know, when you have years of doing that under your belt, you can really look back and pinpoint where you where you were at at different phases of life. You know what I mean? Like you can be like, oh, 2007, I was making this stuff. I remember how I felt, like what I was going through creatively and stuff at that point. And now, you know, I'm looking at what I made yesterday and like compare it to 2008 or whenever. And that's kind of like, oh, okay, like, look where I'm at now, you know, and I, I yeah. just think that's an interesting kind of, um, it's like we're unintentionally keeping a journal, you know, by posting work online and doing all this stuff that we do, um, you know, and, and just constantly creating and keeping a record of it, I think is a really cool thing because you can really kind of feel where you are at at different points in life. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's that's one of the key reasons I made a blog back in 2007. That's when I started Signal Noise as a WordPress um, blog. And like, that was exactly the reason what you just said. Like, I wanted to document it, but I also wanted something that was kind of, um, in order to justify that website, I needed to create more content, you know, and to create more content, I needed to create more artwork. And that was kind of a silent motivator. But yeah, you're right. It acts very much like a visual visual journal of, of where you are and where you could potentially go. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so I want to, uh, ask you about the, um, about the broadcast that you've been doing, because it's very much a kind of pull it back around to, you know, the personal project stuff, but also with me doing this show. Now I just started doing this show. So this is only, you know, your episode here is only the fifth episode. So this is really a young thing for me and I'm really having fun with it, but it's just audio interviews for a while. You were doing these broadcasts and you said you've done over 80 of them. And it was basically you, a video of you and people would come on and chat with you. And then you'd post the video of you having talked later and you'd kind of pick a topic and discuss it with people and, and interact and stuff like that. 
Um, you've kind of stopped doing that. So kind of tell me about that project and, and, uh, like what's that been, um, you know, what's the purpose of kind of slowing down on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the reason I started that, it was, uh, like, you know, partially because of my buddy, Nick Campbell that lives down in uh, Chicago and he has the, the grayscale gorilla, uh, live broadcast. And he used to do that a lot back in the day. And I think this is, we all started right when like, you know, webcams were becoming a thing. And uh, Ustream started up, so there was these free platforms to broadcast, which was really cool. Um, the reason I did it initially, um, I guess there's two reasons, but one reason came later on. The, the initial reason was to basically um, get in front of people, so people knew people knew that Signal Noise wasn't just a logo or a company. There was actually like a real guy on the other end of it, mm-hmm. which uh, which kind of adds um, it adds like a, a personal uh, touch to to the brand, which I really wanted. And, you know, it was, it was to, to help out like primarily a younger audience to help out like, how did I do what I did and uh, kind of giving tips on, uh, on technique or on, on, you know, cl- dealing with clients or the, the creative, the creative process as a whole, you know, um, the, the whole broadcast evolved into not talking about how to do stuff, but why we do stuff, hmm. you know, and uh, a lot of the stuff like you you talk about here too, like um, it's interesting, like th- one of the main things that came from doing the broadcast was really interesting. Um, based on the questions, like you said earlier, there was a chat room and people log in and they can ask questions. The questions, actually, a, a lot of them, if not most of them, made me um, kind of have to reflect on how I actually do do stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. when you get to a point um, in terms of, uh, you know, creative process or whatever, things become very... Um, kind of by impulse, you know, like in Photoshop, I can't even remember like those last 10 steps I did because they're just, I, I react to them just instinctively. So having to answer questions that deal with creativity from people kind of made me reflect on, you know, how do I do that stuff? What is my process for that? So I actually ended up analyzing, I became like a process nerd, which is really stupid to say, but I did. And, you know, and then asking other people like, well, how do you do that? So I can't even like I do this through this too. I don't even know if it's right or not, you know, Um, which was really interesting. And I'm sure you'll get to the same way when you when you talk to like, you know, 50 creative people, you're going to start reflecting on your own your own process. You probably do that now anyway. But, you know, that was that's an interesting part of doing those broadcasts um, was was sort of just reflecting on myself. And that ultimately, I think, made me sort of a better um, a better speaker, uh, but also a better uh, worker. You know, because I fine tune my process, I dial it down because I'm actually thinking about it in mm-hmm. you know, better ways or easier ways or or not so much easier, but just better ways of sure. doing things. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of, yeah, I did uh, 86 episodes and I do, I still do them every now and then. Um, but I ended up kind of dialing it back. I was doing it weekly for, I think, a year and a half. It was just a crazy... Um, I was, I was, my mug was on the internet and I was talking to people, which was super fun. I loved it because it gave me, you know, being from Dartmouth in my home office, you know, it gives me a chance to hang out with everybody, which right, is great because right. normally I'm here by, here by myself. My Ninja Turtles toys don't offer a lot of conversation. Right. So well, there's, there's another yeah. thing like we were talking about before where you're from and everything like, yeah. regardless where you're from, you found that outlet through the internet, but in a very literal way to connect with people. And I think that's a cool, a cool thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just gave, yeah, it gave me an opportunity or a reason just to hang out with other designers and just jam. You know, mm-hmm. you, when you see the same faces in the chat room every time, I mean, that's that's awesome. It's your own little band of friends. Um, I did I did back off from it at one point, and it was about a year and a half ago or, or maybe even longer ago, um, because it, um, it got to a point where I was – 
it was I remember the, the the episode that had happened. I got tired in the middle of an episode, which has never happened before to me. <laughs> tired um, as I in got, like tired of doing it or tired as in you needed a nap? Yeah, like kind of both. Like yeah. I kind of went like I sighed and I was like, Ugh. like and now it seems <laughs> like it's I have to push myself and, and stop becoming I knew fun. like like I was I was doing around the time I was doing a lot of repeating myself too. like a lot of the the topics were the same as like weeks prior and I felt like I was running out of things to say and I'm the kind of person that believes and this goes for uh, the broadcast it goes for on stage or whatever if I'm not excited about what I'm saying, then I can't expect my audience to be excited about it either. Of course. You know, because that, that's when it becomes really, really selfish. And I knew as soon as I ended that broadcast, I knew right then, it's like, I need to take a step back. Like, I can't feel like I'm like I'm tired, but expect the energy to be up on the audience's end because that is sure. completely not fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, so, that's the same thing. I mean, for any teacher, for anybody who's doing anything that requires someone to sit and listen on any level. I mean, I have to be on, you know, when I'm doing this show, you got to be on if you're going to do that broadcast. Somebody who's a teacher and standing up in front of a group of people needs to be on. And if you're not, it's pretty quickly apparent to the people who are paying or trying to pay attention to you and listening to, you know, your audience that you're not into it. And they're going to quickly also probably not be into it and stuff. So it sounds to me like you just weren't really having fun with it anymore and kind of needed to, well, at least like in the moment you felt like you weren't need to step away and kind of refresh and, and come back with some new ideas after taking a little break, which sometimes is the best possible thing. I feel like you can oh, do yeah. for a project like that. Yeah, absolutely right, man. Yeah. Yeah. When you run out of stuff to say, I mean, when you're doing it every week, I mean, our, 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 we grow as artists, but I mean, sometimes our rate of growth doesn't equal a weekly design show. Right. <laughs> it's like no, totally exactly. different. So, yeah. And it's like, well, I'm going to be talking about my damn stickers again this week or whatever. Yeah. No, that sounds like the kind of thing that eventually just kind of. Anyway, like um, the length of time in oh. between like, was that? Sorry, you just cut out there. So the last, uh, what's the last thing you said? Your, your thing cut out. Oh, okay. Um, can't remember what it was now. <laughs> um, oh, I'll say I'll say this. Like I'll just pick it up here. Um, the length of time that um, that I kind of take a break from doing broadcasts that allows me to start missing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's when it's when I start missing it that's when I know I really care about it and I really have something to say and I want to connect back into that. So that's sure. kind of the the architecture that I have right now is um, you know when I start missing it or I have an idea that I want to get out of my system or talk to other people about then that's the time to to do it and. Um, you know, I'm, I don't regret at all. I mean, any of the keeping a, a weekly schedule, man, I love that stuff, man. Hanging out with everybody. It was amazing. Mm. Um, learned a lot about other people and I learned a lot about myself during that. But sure. um, yeah, at this point, it's like I got to if I'm going to do a broadcast, I'm going to make it count, you know, right. totally. Um, yeah, man, it's amazing how quickly an hour can go, but that's how long we're at right now. Um, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Every time I do one of these, I'm like, all right, like, on to the next topic. And then I look, I'm like, man, like I want, I got some more like things I want to get in here before, before we wrap up. But, um, so what, uh, so what are you working on right now? Like what, like when you're done with this, uh, recording this with me and you go back, what are you in the middle of like today that you're feeling excited about? Well, um, like we were talking about earlier, I got more Starcade prints that I'm working on. Um, because of the success of it last year, I got approached by a number of um, of art shows and art galleries uh, this year. So I'm kind of uh, working on 
three three different series and a uh, a big poster that'll all be part of art shows in the the first part of this year. Nice. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna be that's what I'm gonna be working on. And man, it's it doesn't feel like work. I'll tell you that it's like super super fun and super nerdy. That's the goal, man. <laughs> that's the goal. Make work not yeah. feel like work. Um, yeah, man. What uh, you got? Anything? So I mean, first off, uh, happy New Year, by the way. And I should have said that an hour ago. But uh, <laughs> you, so what's uh, what do you want to get done this year? What's your what's your big uh, any particular projects or any particular things that you look at a new year as a chance to be like all right this is when i finally do this thing or that thing or are you just going to kind of keep taking it you know day by day yeah you know i want to work with miley cyrus i think that'd be pretty fun mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm feeling it <laughs> <laughs> you were totally on board with that oh, dude, i was, like, I was oh, yeah, totally yeah. down i'm you down build, build a deck with miley cyrus yeah. i got you, I got you. <laughs> yeah uh, a mood board this, or a patio one of the two <laughs> Um, yeah, like this year I just, um, I kind of have the, uh, the loose goal is, um, is just to do more, more stuff for, uh, for pop culture art shows. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the, one of the little loose kind of, uh, goals that I have. Um, and I've wanted to do that for the past two years, but, uh, I finally feel like I kind of have the necessary footing and, uh, the necessary contacts to actually make that happen. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing a lot more of, uh, of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we're uh, working with like the, the client work, like working with a lot more brands that I think, um. I can fully embrace um, because uh, working with uh, working with my agent, we've kind of um, he's been really good at doing that. He's brought in a lot of really fun projects for me in the last couple of months, and to do that kind of stuff that really kind of plays into the Signal Noise brand as opposed to just a client work that you get paid for. Sure, um, yeah, and that and that being the being the goal, and to travel again, you know, I gotta gotta do my traveling. What's and your next get trip? Get on stage, and, yeah, meet people. Uh, my next trip is. It's going to be in um, early April, and I'm going down to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and then coming back, and uh, I have a gig in Toronto at FITC, so I'm going back to Toronto, and then right on the heels of that, I'm going to, um, there's a a conference in, oh God, what's the one in May? Holy crap. Oh, I'm going to, in Scotland uh, later this year, and the UK. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be really fun, man. Cool. That sounds awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, I had a couple of people ask questions I was going to ask you on Twitter, but we literally covered all of them. So, um, (laughs) one of them was about where you live and could, could you have done it or continue to do it from anywhere? And then actually another one was, what was your least favorite creative project? Um, and why you didn't like it. But, uh, I feel like we've had such a positive, uh, conversation here. I'd hate to end it on something (laughs) you did or you didn't like. So we'll, um, we'll save that for another conversation. I'd actually planning on doing kind of a round table thing with a handful of designers and kind of talk about some of those projects that you just cool. put yourself through and get done. Cause you got to do it. Cause you committed to yourself, you know, committed yourself to it, but, uh, save that for another time. So anyways, I want to leave you with a chance to, uh, plug whatever you want, man. Give your website, Twitter, all that Instagram, all that stuff. I know you're pretty much at signal noise everywhere, but, uh, <laughs> any, any more specifics or things you want to tell people where to go buy your new prints or anything like that? Go for it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, you can uh, check out all of the, uh, the various projects and stuff that I have on the go at signalnoise.com. That's my, my main website, my blog. That's where I post all my foolish illustrations and thoughts and all that business. Uh, I'm on Twitter quite actively and also on instagram um also signal noise and you can find me at facebook it's just facebook.com slash predictably signal noise nice so, I'm, I'm proud of you for getting every single one of the uh, major spots you need to grab your name like actually getting them all and you don't have like signal noise 
666 or, you know, <laughs> signal noise underscore James or anything like that. You actually got signal noise. So I do. Yeah. And a Props big shout out that. to Twitter, a big shout out to Twitter, man, because uh, when I first got on Twitter, I was signal noise art because I couldn't get ah, signal noise. I remember it that. It was a dormant account. Yeah. yeah. And they, they helped me out, man. They switched it up for me. So hats off. <laughs> That's awesome. You keep up. <laughs> uh, you cut out again. Oh, actually, uh, man. Yeah. Another question just, uh, popped up on Twitter for you and it yep. was about uh, the whole, what propelled you into speaking engagements that you kind of currently do. So it seems like we covered everything that people want to know. So there you Sweet. go. <laughs> hey, right um, on. We're right awesome. On. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Follow James on Twitter at signal noise everywhere else that he said. And um, James, I'm sure that you and I will be talking again soon. And uh, thanks for doing this with me, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Thanks so much, Chuck. Yeah, dude. Take care. <laughs> Word. 